Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. All right, guys, my guest with me today is John McLernan. He's uh, got a bachelor's degree in chemistry with a minor in marketing psychology, went to the University of Victoria. He's got research and work experience in nanotechnology, was a Navy Marine engineer. He's traveled to 45 countries on five different continents. I am so jealous. He was a lineman working on power lines. He's owned his own nutrition and supplement store. He's an online, currently an online nutrition coach also a mentor for entrepreneur coaches that are just getting their coaching business started. He's also a father, happily married 15 years, if I got that right. Wow, John, what a bio. Happy to have you on, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, yeah, thank you. So, you know, sometimes I hear my own bio and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's actually a lot packed into there. But because it's like my own backstory, sometimes I kind of take it for granted until I hear it and I go, yeah, like there was a lot of like stuff. I did not leave high school thinking that 20 years later this is going to be my life story right yeah so kind of just take us from like uh i don't know just take us from like your background and how you got started and put us on a trajectory of what you're doing today yeah so as you mentioned like i've had this super varied background because i was involved in nanotech research but i got bored of doing that i got bored of working in a lab because i was being groomed to go into a phd program and i ultimately decided to opt out of that phd program and join the navy as a marine engineer um but then uh, along the way like the navy was great in one sense but i also speak my mind and that doesn't always like fit into the military uh, right, right. so well because i'm a pretty independent guy um i also uh, Met, met a girl from Australia uh, who's now my wife. And uh, so, you know, I did three years of the Navy, went and lived in Australia for a year, came back, did three more years. And then I said, you know what? The Navy makes divorced alcoholics. I don't want to be either of those things. Um, let's travel the world. And so we just packed up um, everything to a storage unit, hopped on a plane to Mexico. And, you know, on the flight down to Puerto Vallarta, we were looking at each other like, are we nuts? Like, what, what are we doing? You know, um, we thought maybe we'd be going for six months or something like that, because that sounded like a long time. And we ended up traveling for, for three years. And so um, kind of it was during that time where, where like my, my life really um, shifted because I went, I went through some trauma during our travels and we can maybe dive into that. But that's kind of the, the, the big picture overview. Um, and it was, you know, the last 10 years have been a really interesting kind of roller coaster ride as well. So you had just mentioned a second ago trauma. I think mm -hmm. you and I both know where this is going because of our like warm up <laughs> chat, but I yeah. think the audience would really like get a kick out of hearing about this near death experience that you had and how it yeah. played on your mind a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, go yeah. So, um, and, and it's, it's interesting because I, I, I don't necessarily want to glorify the details of it, but I want to, I think what's really helpful is to kind of understand the fallout from it. So we were living down in South Africa. Um, we, were, we were working on a nature reserve, teaching underprivileged youth um, life skills and helping them uh, kind of become more employable because the education system in South Africa really fails their young people, their public education system. And so we were kind of uh, working for uh, a not-for-profit organization that's kind of a stopgap for them. So out on this nature reserve, um, there's like kind of a, 
a series of buildings in an L shape. And at the very end of it is an instructor's cabin in the woods. And so on one end of the L, uh, everyone's in the dining hall. They're eating their dinner, that kind of thing. And the very far end of the L is where the instructor's cabin is. So I'm walking back there one night. It's dark and uh, it's nighttime because it's, it's southern hemisphere and August is wintertime for them down there. And my cabin door was slightly ajar. And for some reason, it didn't register that, that something was slightly off about the situation because I was in a nature reserve that has rangers and, you know, even though it's a few hundred hectares, it's also sort of surrounded by fencing and stuff like that. So, it, you know, and we were really connecting with our students. So I really didn't think something was off. Open the door and there's three guys in my cabin and they're, they're eating my rusks, which is this South African hard biscuit okay. and drinking rooibos tea, which is this, it means red bush in Afrikaans. It's a common tea that they drink down there. And still something didn't quite click. I was kind of like, I recognized one of the faces that it was a ranger. So I was like, was there something wrong with their cabin? Are they fixing it? Like it didn't click that this is like at night, after hours, dark. Like for, it wasn't registering in my brain because I wasn't going into the situation thinking I'm about to get jumped. Right. And I didn't see the fourth guy. And all of a sudden, crack, a rock hits me across the head. And I remember that, that, that first hit. Now all of a sudden I'm stunned. I'm like, what is going on here? And the other guys, you know, they jumped up, like piled out of the cabin. And sort of the picture I remember the most, I was wearing a collared like golf shirt kind of thing. And I remember this guy grabbing the collar of the shirt, you know, you, you kind of scrunch it up and like pulling me towards him with one, one arm while he's swinging the rock with the other one with a smile on his face. And, you know, smashing me across the forehead with this rock. And, I'm, you know, and I'm like, what the, you know, now I'm stunned. And, and like I kind of stumble and fall. And, and of course, they just start kicking and boot stomping and, and beating on me. And, uh, you know, I remember like screaming for help um, and thinking like I can't die tonight. That thought was running through my head. Right. And and nobody could hear me because they're away a few hundred feet away in a building. They're all eating dinner, having a good old time, like as, as though nothing's going on. Later, my students told me they thought they heard monkeys screeching. And I was like, yeah, no, that was me. You know, so I'm, I'm bloodied and concussed and like trying to figure out what I'm the not heck laughing is going at you. Here. I'm, I'm trying, laughing trying, with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Well, and I want to say to people like, if it sounds like I'm talking somewhat lightly about an extremely traumatic experience, it's, it is because I've done the work. And so I don't, I don't want to, and maybe it's become so familiar with my story now and I've done the work that I can speak about it in a little more light terms. But believe me, uh, this experience really messed with me. Um, sure. I was, I, I was able to fight my way to kind of to my feet. So well, sort of kind of like to my hands and my knees or to my hands and my feet. And, you know, I'm bloodied. I'm concussed. I'm, I can't see straight. It's dark. I don't know how many people are jump, you know, attacking me, but I managed to, to like kind of break free because I'm a pretty big guy and, and sort of stumble, stagger, crawl, get my way over to the building. Why they didn't pursue me, I don't know. But that was probably my saving grace. They didn't chase after me and just keep beating on me. Maybe they, I, I really don't know what went through their heads. Um, so but I got to know these guys. No, had didn't know them from a bar of soap. Had no idea who they were. Did they did they get anything out of your place? Oh, or oh totally. They, they cleaned the whole thing out, oh, and they okay. cleaned they cleaned out the student dormitories as well. That was one of the buildings. They cleaned out all the student stuff as well. Um, yeah. So I got back. You know, I get to the, the dining hall where everybody is. My face is just covered in blood. I'm covered in mud and dirt and like boot marks and things. And I'm I'm I still I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. I'm just trying to stay alive here. Right. Um, you know, because I've been concussed and my bell's been rung and, yeah, blood in my eyes. <laughs> like, these guys were legit trying to kill me because um, they killed a guy the night before. Um, wow. That was that was their intent. And uh, we ended up kind of trapped in that building. My wife was super brave in this experience. And I know I'm glossing over some details because I don't want to go too deep into the story. But we, we were kind of held hostage for about 45 minutes before the police showed up. Um, you know, it was kind of like we barricaded ourselves into the building. They were trying to smash the doors down with shovels and 
like it was a, it was a pretty hardcore you know situation there and uh you know it was it was the fallout from that that really like messed with me so the first kind of response was like we're tough they're not going to break us that kind of thing you know um but that that was really like this just the first stages of ptsd kind of setting in because okay. um, south africa is is a violent violent place it's a beautiful country and there's a lot of warm and friendly people there i don't want people to misunderstand but it's also an extremely violent place um, and not, not a lot of it gets publicized because if you go over there as a tourist, you're going to have a very sanitized experience. You're okay. going to, be, you know, and the violence is not just white black. It's it's all across the board. Um, it's 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 pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know how to. I mean, nobody really knows how the hell you deal with this stuff. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And so I turned to food um, because it's socially acceptable. <laughs> um, a lot of people probably would turn to drugs and alcohol because even though it was only one incident, the problem with trauma, like it screws with your head because there's flashbacks, there's a lot of rage, there's a lot of violent, um, like intrusive, violent thoughts, thoughts of vengeance, like, um, then it really doesn't line up with who I am as a human being. Like I really don't have any desire to inflict violence on a single human being. But so having all of this sort of intruding into my head was really disturbing for me. Um, There was a lot more incidents that took place in the remaining four months so we stayed in South Africa. We were broken into 13 times. Like, and at a certain point, like you get so like tired of being violated that I, I wanted to set traps and literally so they would break in so that I could kill them. And I knew <laughs> at that point I had to get out of there. It's time to I go. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. It's, you know, I knew that like I was at my, my breaking point because, you know, in all of this, people would hear this. And if, if you were to meet me, you'd have like, it's hard to imagine that that was the place I was in when I see who I am to the, today you know but when you're when you're in there and it feels like you're in a war day in and day out like every day you're watching every step you take everywhere you go everywhere you look who's looking at me how many of them are there it it it's really hard and every time you get you get broken into or attacked or violated like it just it just keeps adding up until you finally get so angry and you're like i'm i'm going to fight back right. and so Instead, we, we, we left, and that was probably the best thing we could have done because I was probably also on the verge of a nervous breakdown because we weren't sleeping. Like, we would sleep in shifts. We had weapons. We had, you know, a panic button for armed security to come on, on short notice because the police are corrupt and not reliable. Like, it was, it you know, it was a really hard place to be living in. Yeah. And so the follow-up from that was, like, I ate a lot of food, and I wasn't eating broccoli. Like, I was the fastest way to kind of disrupt the flashbacks and the trying to relive and rewrite the script in my head and what happened and so on was just to turn to food and my weight ballooned. Okay. Okay. So, and, and I'm glad you went into that because on your bio that I have, like one of the mm-hmm. copy that I'm reading, it talks about how you had been at one point over 300 pounds. And as you're yeah, telling yeah. this story of what happened in South Africa, and the you know near-death experience where you guys were accosted by people i was wondering did the weight gain happen as a result of that or so what you're saying is before this event happened you were mr slim and trim and regular and then because of this you okay Mm -hmm. yeah i I was i was fairly athletic and and strong um and so there's here's like another like there's so many kind of layers to this when i look back um like the loss of an identity, the loss of being like an athletic guy. Yeah. So I, I went to being morbidly obese. And so sometimes it felt like I was an athlete trapped in a fat suit. I don't know how else to put it. Sure. Like 
unless someone's been obese and been an athlete before, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but that's what it felt like there. So was, there was this dissociation between me and my body even. Mm-hmm. And on this journey, like I really ended up getting into this headspace where I started to hate my body because of feeling trapped in it. I hated it because of all the fat it had on it. I hated it, you know, um, and it was this really kind of destructive place to be. So essentially I turned into a binge eating food addict. Um, with regards to the to the men and what what, what they did, um, my way of resolving that was actually to forgive them. Um, That's good. Which might, which might surprise some people. Uh, I never saw them again. Um, I was requested to come back for the court case, but I declined. Uh-huh. Oh, so they caught him. They did because they murdered a guy the night before. They were actually looking for these guys. They never thought to, you know, give us a heads up that there was like a group of men that had murdered a guy that could be in the area. You know, I remember because we look back on that incident now and we remember there was a helicopter flying overhead over the reserve that day. But we just thought, oh, you know what? Maybe they're just they're monitoring the animals or something like that. You know, right. we didn't think twice of it. like that. They don't function like a first world country, you know. Right. And so they never thought to warn us that, hey, there are some like dangerous men in the area who murdered a guy. Like the cop shouldn't have told us this, but he's like, they beat his head in like a pumpkin. And that was basically what they were trying to do to me. Yeah. So people would look at that and go, how could you forgive men that would do this to you? Even they'd probably do it again if they saw me. And I said, well, I had to ask a question. What happened to them? Right. What happened to them that got them to this place? Because I don't think they're born murderers. I like it, bro. That is one thing that I deal with um, in, 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 in the way I interact with people. I have got to remember to not be so quick to criticism and judgment, but to stop and pause a minute when someone rubs me the wrong way or someone's like their character or their mannerisms just aren't jiving with mine, I have to stop and go, what did that person go through possibly in their youth or adolescence that made them take on that mantra? You know what I mean? It's like a child that you catch lying, right? And it's really quick to go, you know, that kid's a liar and, you know, I can't trust that kid, but we never go one layer back and ask, does that child get beat at home every time they get in trouble? Right. Because that would make any one of us spin the truth or tell stories to avoid a consequence like that. You know what I mean? And I think it'd be good, you know, universally as a people, if we all were willing to just kind of look one layer back at why people are the way they are. Not that that I'm justifying what those guys did by any means. No, no, that's disastrous. But the fact that you were willing to layer deeper to why they were that way is grace that's you being gracious you know well it's it's so i I say forgiveness was not about absolving them for their actions um that's something that they have to answer for it was about setting me free right it was about me not being a powerless victim reliving the trauma over and over again and being triggered and brought into fits of random rage and you know because i i got tired of the anger like I, I got tired of it. I just didn't want to be angry anymore. I didn't want to have these violent thoughts. I didn't want to have this rage. I didn't want it. That's the hardest part about it. You get this stuff like boiling up inside and, and, and I was like, I don't want this stuff here. I don't know why it keeps coming back. Like, you know, but that's, that's what a traumatized brain experiences. And so for me, forgiveness was one of the really key steps in moving away from it. And, and mm-hmm. I say that it wasn't as though like I just decided to forgive them in one day and everything was hunky dory. 
But what it was for me was each time that I would start to, like I would feel triggered and the thoughts would start to come back and the flashbacks would start to come back and so on. I would, I would consciously try to cultivate a sense of compassion and go, what happened to these guys? What happened to them? And I would, so I would, I would counter that rage with compassion and gradually bit by bit, sort of the hardness started to, started to move away. I started to sort of soften and gradually I was, you know, I was beginning to break free from the grip that that trauma had on my life. Now, when you begin to break free from the grip that that trauma had on you, would you say that that's also where you started seeing results in the weight loss and going from the 300 guy to losing the hundred pounds? Not, not in a perfectly linear fashion. I wish that was the case. Yeah. Um, because I was still stuck in an abusive relationship with myself. And okay. that sounds like some pretty hard language to use. But I say like, if man, if I ever, if I ever said to another human being, the stuff I said to myself in the privacy of my own thoughts, like mm-hmm. I would not have a single friend in this world. Wow. And I don't understand where that comes from. I've got loving parents, you know, stable marriage. I've been married 43 years, like, you know, great childhood. Like I got no complaints. So I don't know where this pattern comes from, but it was like, I just, I think I just started to beat myself up because I was so angry and frustrated at my body for what I felt like was its betrayal and becoming obese and robbing me of my athleticism and things that I used to find my sense of identity in. Sure. And, uh, you know, so it was really a few years later when I, when I was, cause I tried losing weight a few times. Well, actually more than a few times, a number of times I say I've lost like 600 pounds, but I've gained, you know, <laughs> Cause, cause I'd lost and gained, you know, so many times, Right, right. Um, but when I, when I hired a coach and, uh, cause you know, I'd hire a coach to try to help me to lose weight. And every time I was like, they just didn't get it. And I didn't know the kind of help that I needed either. And so it's not to put the blame on these coaches, but they just tried to work with the tools they had. And it was a mismatch. I was messed up. I was, I was traumatized. I was, I was in this emotionally destructive relationship with myself and so they didn't really know how to help me. And it, it was like a lot of coercion, a lot of like, you know what to do, kind of almost like shaming and guilting to try to force me to changing my behavior. They didn't, they didn't start with compassion and this, let's figure out why you're doing this. Right. You know, because they didn't know how, because they, they didn't have that backstory. Sure. And so I hired, you know, I was about, you know, I was probably ready to give up on coaching really, but kind of I hired one more coach. And the, the impetus for this or why I did this was I had to do a, a health analysis for, for life insurance. And like, I'd lost some of the weight at that point. I was about 290 pounds, which is still pretty heavy. And I remember I had to get on the scale and this guy had to record the weight and he tried to take my blood pressure and my blood pressure was super high. We tried like lying down, breathing, all this kind of stuff to bring my blood pressure down. And it just wasn't happening. And ultimately I had to pay a rider on my insurance policy. In other words, I had to pay an additional fee because I was at higher risk of dying because of my obesity and blood pressure and these cardiovascular issues that were in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So like I'm going through my own kind of health wake up call for myself right now. Like every time I've gone into the physician on my yearly or, you know, maybe every two years I'll go, my triglycerides are through the roof. I've never really been an overweight guy, but when you start hitting that 35 to 45 age mark and the testosterone starts going down, like the gut starts coming out, you know what I mean? And like, I'm concerned about it because my biological father had his first heart attack at 40 
second one, which was a triple bypass at 42, and both of his brothers died in their 40s from heart attacks. And okay, so you have a significant medical history, you know. Yeah, family history for cardiovascular stuff. So that's there. Plus, I spent a lot of years not really being good to myself, you know, yeah. and it weighs heavy on my mind, you know, so I'm on a stat now. And like, and it's funny, it's almost like there's this force. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Ryan Stuman or not, but he's another podcaster and kind of a success coach kind of guy. But he talks about the force of average is like gravity. And it's always trying to pull you back down. And just a couple of weeks ago, I started getting up in the morning and it was a green smoothie with my Nutribullet. I packed a full of spinach and kale and avocados and maybe a little bit of lemon just to kind of take the edge off the kale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And then I'll, yeah. I'll slam that down and then I'll head out the door with my jogging shoes on and try to do at least a 20 minute, very high paced jog to get my blood pumping and get my blood going. And after about two weeks of doing that, I don't know if it was because I don't think I have any immune system issues. Like my wife's a school teacher and she brings, mm -hmm. they all come home from school with like germs and stuff. And I ended up getting sick and man, it took like a week and a half to recover from that. But once you had like, I had just started building the habit of doing that every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm taking my vitamins. I'm taking my vitamin C. I'm taking my multivitamin. I'm, I'm having my smoothie. I'm going on my jog. And it set, not only did it help me in my health, like in fitness, but like, it was like helping me psychologically. Like, oh, totally. Yeah. I am taking care of my, 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 myself in a good way. And then bam, you get sick or something happens where your life kind of gets turned upside down temporary, whether it's for a few days or even a few weeks. Yeah. And then you have to start like the train, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to get that, that yeah. momentum going again. Mm -hmm. And you know, when, when I'm working with clients, uh, one of the things that I talk about is setting CMGs or can't miss goals. Okay. And talk so, about that. yeah, what, what that is, is let, let's say like, you know, your situation here, you decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to adopt some new healthy behaviors and you know, so on and so forth. And you decide, okay, I'm going to go for a 20 minute run every day. I'm going to, you know, have a green smoothie. I'm going to, you know, and on all these different things you're going to do, which is, is admirable in one sense, but it's almost a, like you're almost guaranteed to fail because you're introducing a lot of change all at once Okay. And our brains like routine and familiarity. So when I work with people, I, I focus on what I call brain-driven weight loss. So it's recognizing how the role that the brain plays in creating our patterns of behavior. So that can be everything from our emotions, our mindset, our psychology, our sense of identity, our, our beliefs, the habitual behaviors we've repeated, and so on. Like It's a really interesting and fascinating, uh, in, in my mind, it's a really fascinating approach. And so a CMG or a can't-miss goal is one that is so simple that literally you can't miss it, like except on your worst days when you're bedridden. Yeah. Um, because if you want to form a habit, it's what's going to determine whether or not you can form that habit is the repeatability of the behavior. Right. So you might say, instead of saying I have to go for a 20 minute run every day, you might start with saying I got to go for a five minute walk. And you make that your baseline. Now you're always welcome to do more. You can always, if you feel like doing more, do more. If you don't, let's say those days you're sick, but you're like, I got to get a little bit of movement in. I you know I'm sick and you go for that five minute walk, you tick it off. What you're doing is you're patterning the behavior of deliberate movement every day, but okay. you're doing it in such a way that it doesn't feel like your brain doesn't go. There's no way I can't, I can't do a 20 or 30 minute run today. So I'm just not going to do anything at all. Right. So you've set the benchmark low enough that it's essentially that can't miss goal. Okay. And so 
that's how we we start to pattern in behaviors um, by building sort of a repeatability into it. You can take all the principles of healthy lifestyle and really s start like this. So maybe pounding a, a jam-packed green smoothie, um, while admirable, again, might be like, like four steps ahead of where you're at in terms of lifestyle. And so you might start by getting a greens powder, a supplement, and just doing a scoop of that in water every morning, where all you got to do is throw a scoop in water, stir and chug. You know, takes 60 seconds or less. You're, you're more likely to carry out that behavior than going to the fridge, dig out the spinach, dig out the kale, maybe partially chop it up to jam it in there, get the, and so on and so forth. So you're making it so simple yes. that you can't not do it. I like that, bro. I like that. Now my next question is, where do I get that green smoothie powder from? <laughs> uh, well, I guess it depends where you are. So, because uh, because I live in Canada and we probably have slightly different brands, but um, you know there, there's a really good brand. You know it's good because it tastes like grass. <laughs> um, <All> right. <laughs> called uh, Cyto Greens, C Y T O Greens, um, by a company called Nova Form, N O V A F O R M E, um, yeah. Cyto Greens. I should get a sponsorship with them or something. <laughs> but uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it it tastes yeah. it tastes horrible because it, it it tastes like liquid grass. But that's because they don't have a lot of filler in there. I think that's a really important part of it. And it's, you know, it's just dehydrated plant food. They haven't fluffed it up with a bunch of fiber. Um, it's legit, like, you know, so you throw a scoop of that in there, stir it up and drink it. You could put a, a shot of lemon in there or something. My wife put a shot of like Mio, those those little flavor shots in there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not perfect. It's got artificial sweeteners, but honestly, I don't get hung up on that too much. You know, right. whatever, whatever it takes to sort of get it down the hatch kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. That's kind of more important. Because you think about the pillars of a healthy lifestyle, it's going to be like, you know, regular pattern of movement, moving your body. It's going to be, you know, nutrient dense eating most of the time. So you're going to have plenty of plant foods in there, um, some quality, healthy proteins, you know, uh, a decent amount of healthy fats, but not kind of overdoing it. Let, um, give me an example of what some healthy fats are. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just yeah, yeah. as we go and then you can continue on. Um. Well, maybe we'll start with the things that I would stay away from. Interestingly, not like saturated fats, not as bad as it's made out to be. Um, okay. We're starting to realize that consuming saturated fat is not necessarily uh, correlated to coronary artery disease. It's actually stress and inflammation that really we can kind of link to issues with our with our blood vessels and uh, polyunsaturated fats like seed oils and vegetable oils are pro-inflammatory, so they're more problematic because they're creating inflammation in your body. Okay. So okay. things like canola oil or veg, you know, so-called vegetable oil or Crisco, um, or you know, these oils are actually more problematic okay. than something like olive oil, um, which is uh, monounsaturated, or avocado oil, or you know, walnut oil. Um, you know, whenever I cook, like let's say I cooked a pork shoulder recently. And I render a lot of the fat off and I save it. And so when I go to cook some eggs, I'll get like, put a teaspoon of this in. I have a small pan. I'll put like maybe a, a, a teaspoon or a two thirds of a teaspoon okay. of this fat in the pan and cook my eggs in it, you know? Um, and so it's not that I'm eating it by the, by the bucket load, but I'm not scared of saturated fat either. Um, right. It has a high smoke point. It doesn't go rancid and oxidize in the same way that these other oils can. Right. Um, Nuts are a great one. Like uh, so, every day I eat a small amount of nuts, uh, deliberately a small amount because you know it doesn't take much for them to add up to a whole bunch of calories. So, right. um, you know, maybe five Brazil nuts. You know, you know, actually I have my little my little nut mix that I make up. So it's got five Brazil nuts, ten cashews, ten almonds, and three macadamias. And people go like, why so specific? Well, 
because the way that I used to eat would be I would take that as one handful and jam the entire thing in my mouth and swallow it in one go and want be wanting more. And now I'm at the place where I'll take one nut, I'll eat it, I'll taste it, I'll enjoy it, I'll appreciate it, and I'll eat the next one. And so I can get a ton of enjoyment out of a small amount because that little amount of nuts that I described, you know, five Brazil nuts, 10 almonds, 10 cashews, three macadamias, that's like 400 calories, which for some people could be anywhere from 15 to 25% of your daily calorie requirements, especially right. for sedentary in such a tiny amount. So it's just like, and it's funny because this sort of rolls off the tongue because I'm kind of aware of it because I'm a nutritionist, but a lot of people wouldn't even think twice about that. Yeah, I like it. So getting back to the, the, the weight loss that you went through, what was your wife like? Was she being like supportive? Like, is your wife struggle with that too? Or is that just something she doesn't you deal with? You know, um, man, I gotta, I gotta give a, a huge shout out to my wife for being just an incredible human being. Um, she's been with me from the time that I was at my fittest, but when I was, you know, ready to go for boot camp, and I was pretty jacked, and she, she met me then. She's been with me when I was at my worst, when I was three hundred and thirty pounds, and never once did she ever entertain thoughts of leaving me. And I was in a place so emotionally distressed that I told her she should, and she wouldn't have any of it. That's the kind of woman she is, and so. That's, that's, I'm fiercely loyal to her because of that. In yep. my lowest emotional state where I was so, I hated myself so much. I hated the body I felt trapped in. I was like, you should just leave. You'll be happier without me in your life. Yeah. She was like, no, I know who you are and you're not this person. I'm not leaving you. Yeah. No, I, I can definitely associate with that brother. I have been blessed tremendously by by, by a beautiful woman that has walked with me through some of my lowest points. And it almost feels, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fraudulent or imposterish, I guess, because in the beginning, she didn't see any of those darker sides of me or those uh, more prone to fail or false sides of me. Cause I was, I was kind of on a really fast line, like, nasa satellite trajectory of really doing well and then i don't know what happens man you get older and you kind of get gut punched by life or you experience a trauma or just whatever the case may be life happens to all of us and then you go to this dark place and it kind of caught my wife by surprise but she has been faithful and committed and by my side and there's been a couple of times she's you know asked me to you know, it's been a while back, but like asked me to go sleep on someone else's couch for the night, just cause like, I can't handle you right now. Kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah but yeah, she's a good woman. So, man, I feel like we jumped around a whole bunch, but I told my wife before I was going to do this episode that it was not going to be rigid. And I really just wanted to have fun. So before, <laughs> we get, before we get back into like the weight loss stuff, is there anything else you wanted to add to the movement nutrient dense food and the healthy fats in like that kind of uh, package you were i feel like you were building us a package yeah. of lifestyle well because well, like i i run a program called lifestyle 180 so it's a 180 day program and really the goal behind this is for to help you reverse engineer your own healthy lifestyle so it's really important that we understand like when somebody hires me as a coach for example i say I'm your tour guide, but I'm not your Sherpa. In other words, I can't carry your backpack for you. 
Right. And, and that would actually be very disempowering and dishonoring to the individual t- for me to come and say, I'm going to solve all your problems and I'm going to be the hero of your life. Screw mm-hmm. that. You are going to be the hero of your own life. I'm going to help you do that. You know, yeah. that's what real coaching is. And so we know the fundamental principles of a healthy lifestyle. Daily movement, nutrient-dense food, stress management, quality sleep, hydration. Like it's not rocket science because our biology really hasn't changed a lot since the beginning of time. And so the question is, how do we shape these principles to suit your individual life? And that's where a lot of variety can come in. And Mm -hmm. so when I work with somebody, I say, we're going to start with a principle. This is not a rule. This is not me telling you what you must do. But we're going to start, you try to implement this behavior into your life. And then I want you to tell me where this works and where it doesn't. And then we're going to adjust it until you have, you've shaped it to fit your lifestyle. And then you're going to repeat that behavior and we're going to track your pattern of behavior so that you now form a habit and now you're not trying to um, use conscious awareness. And so what we're doing is not only are we reverse engineering your healthy lifestyle, we're doing it in a way that starts to put on autopilot. It's actually, it's pretty cool. I, you know, I know I'm biased because it's my program, but <laughs> right. no, I like it, man. Yeah. Like, uh, so you were talking about tracking progress. So for someone that's, let's say, let's say they're not fresh, brand new. And, yep. you know, I, I really enjoyed what you said about the five minute walk as how, how did you word that? C- CMG can't miss CMG, gold. Can't miss gold. Right. So you're, so you're doing these things every single day. You don't miss them. You may reduce the intensity, but you're still doing them so that you develop the habit of doing them. So now I've got in my cupboards, my green smoothie powder, my cyto greens, and I'm I'm willing to go take my five minute walk. If I've got to be at work super early and I can't do my 20 minute run and I'm doing my 20 minute runs, I'm taking my Nutribullets. I'm really intense about it, but I got my backup stuff for the days when it's not working well, or it just didn't work that well, or I'm sick or something happened. But do I need to be writing down? We talked about tracking mm-hmm. progress, like every day, like in a journal, today's Monday, I did this, 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 and this, this is what I didn't do. Here's yeah, what I so, ate. like, talk to me about that. Yeah, well, think about it again. We want to we want to create the simplest way um, for you to do this because uh, complexity is the enemy of progress, right? The more complicated we make it, the more difficult it is for you to do it. So we know, for example, there's scientific studies backing this, that if you practice awareness around what you eat, if you record what you eat, you will double your weight loss. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, you don't have to weigh all your food and count all your calories. That is one tool. You could use MyFitnessPal, for example. I offer that as an option for my clients. I'm like, if that works for you, if you like the numbers, cool. We'll work within calories and macronutrients, which is protein, carbs, and fat. If you don't want to do that, cool. We're going to do it a different way. We might do a photo journal where you take a photo of each meal and then you put your phone away and enjoy your meal. Because it's what it is, is the act of creating conscious awareness around the food you're about to eat sure. will trigger your prefrontal cortex. That's okay. the human part of your brain. Where now you're going to eat with more awareness, you're less likely to overeat. You're, you're going to start, instead of eating on autopilot, you know, going through the fast food joint, um, eating while you're driving, or, or just, you know, eating mindlessly or watching Netflix and so on. No, we want you to eat with conscious awareness because that's going to significantly, positively impact your weight loss efforts. Yes, because I think that's the thing that people struggle with the most is, 
almost like a raccoon that's gotten into the trash can and yeah. just eating whatever's there. And then now they're laying in the alley belly up with a belly ache because they don't even know what they ate. Like for me, I think my biggest, my, my biggest, I guess, eating issue, I guess, would be fatigue. Yeah. I come home, I work in the old fields yep. and my audience is probably tired of hearing me talk about that because it seems to be my crutch for all my misdeeds and misbehaviors, but this old field <laughs> schedule is just insane. And like, yeah, you know, I've done the old patch. Oh, you did. Okay. So, you know, oh, yeah. you know what it's all about then, you know, so yep. like I get up early, you come in way late, you're exhausted and your, my wife works and, and most of the time she's got a very good nutritional dinner set up, ready for us to go. But sometimes she's a busy mom and she does it, you know, and it's like fend for yourself. And when you come in, you know, you got to figure it out. And the Oreos are right there, John. They're right there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a few, a few ways that you can navigate this. So you already know, for example, let's say Oreos are an issue for you. They're an issue for you when you're tired. So you got a couple options. One is don't bring them into the house. Right. Just write, call them for what they are and say, you know what? It's probably better if they're not there because if it's inconvenient, I'm not I'm not going to drive to the store and get Oreos when I'm tired. Because at that point, I will I might as well just put the effort into making a quick meal. Yeah. If you do want to keep them in your house because you're like, I do want to have them around for those days that I can I can regulate my consumption. Cool. Put them in a box in your basement somewhere, like where you have to like, go down the stairs and go into this cupboard and pull a couple things out to get to the Oreos. <laughs> What you're doing is you're just putting a little bit of resistance between you and the impulse. Yep. You're just putting a bit of friction between you. So you have time for a little bit of conscious thought before you start diving into it. Um, for, you know, my wife, she brought home this Costco sized bag of peanut M&Ms, for example. And, you know, I, I, I put them in the bottom of the pantry behind the pickle jar and the bag of flour and stuff. And it's on the bottom shelf on the floor uh -huh. so that if I want to get to them, I got to get down on my hands and knees and move <laughs> this stuff out of the way and so on. So I have to Love really it. want those peanut M&Ms before I'll dive into them. <laughs> right. If I, if I, so that's just recognizing human impulse, right? If I put them in a bowl on the counter, every time I walk past, I'm grabbing a handful and shoving them in my mouth. Yeah. And so that's, that's just an, you know, it's like make your life easier, know how your brain works and make your life easier. Yeah. No, I really like that, man, because that's like something if you told, like, if I told one of my friends that at work, I'm like, Hey bro, I had to take like a bag of Oreos to the neighbor and give them to them to hold for me. Because I made this deal with myself that if I wanted Oreos late at night, I had to walk over the fence to the neighbor's house, knock on the door and embarrassingly say, hey, can I have three or four of those? Don't give me any more than four. People would laugh at you and go, what is wrong with you? But to hear someone else say that people do this and need to do this as a preventative or as you said placing resistance between you and the impulsive behavior it's good to know that there's other people out there that oh, think yeah. like that so so like people Please. will I'll just throw this in there people will like see my story and so very often you see the after picture and you go like wow like this guy must have be on easy street now and uh -huh. i'm like no, I'm a former binge eating food addict man <laughs> yeah. that stuff kind of doesn't necessarily entirely leave your brain and so right. i'm aware of that i also live with a certain biological reality so i say that fat cells are the gift that keeps on giving in other words <laughs> uh, yeah you can empty them you can shrink them but they're always there waiting to be refilled once you create a fat cell it's yours for life now this is a really cool biological um, feature 
that helps us survive famines because human beings used to go through famines. We right. don't know what that's like in North America because we live, we're swimming in cheap, like garbage calories. Like we have so many calories, we don't know what to do with them. We literally throw food away. Right. You know, could you imagine a thousand years ago throwing food away? Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, I just couldn't eat another bite. Like that just didn't happen. Right. So, um, so we have this famine biology. So now I have a whole bunch of fat cells that I've shrunk and I've emptied, but they'll fill up real fast if I start eating like the raccoon in the garbage can. I, I, I really love that picture because I'm like, that was me. So I'm thinking about someone close to me right now that has kind of struggled with some weight, weight loss, weight gain. Um, this person will... It's cyclical. It's cyclical in the sense that they'll mount up the courage to like start eating better, they'll buy this book or try this diet, I'm eating clean now or less carbs or this and that, and I'm exercising and, and it's go, go, go. And they commit to this habitual routine for X amount of months or whatsoever, and they'll see results, but it's limited results in weight loss, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, they get to the place where it's like, I should not have to work this hard. Mm -hmm. such little results is there something like where a person can go uh, well first first i'm going to have you speak to that but then the second part of that question is is there like a place a person could go to get some kind of blood work or some kind of test done to find out maybe if there's a certain inhibitor to weight loss or if or or you know like something genetic or something like that or I see you. I, I, you're grinning. You're ready to go. <laughs> you got, bro? Talk to me about um, it. You know what? Chances are it's not so complicated as needing to go get blood work and find some sort of genetic inhibitor. Right. So, so, you know, you say, how do you help this person? to say, get them in touch with me. And that sounds like a brash thing to say, but it's like, I can help them. Um, because, we're, we're, you know, I, I, I'm a very different coach than, than what a lot of people see out there in terms of the nutrition coaching world. But here's the thing. A lot of people are mentally dieting all the time. So they're mentally, in their mind, creating restriction on what they can and can't eat. They have this disordered relationship with food. It always feels like a constant battle. And so even though they're not necessarily, the, the sort of physical restraint doesn't necessarily match up to the mental restraint they're trying to, they're putting themselves through. It feels like they're dieting all the time. And so because it feels like it, it feels like they're working really hard. Okay. When in reality, their eating isn't necessarily... Um, as good as or as virtuous as they would like to think it is. Ah, okay. I like that. I like that. But because they're fighting the fight here, yes, it feels like they're fighting the fight everywhere. Right. I got yeah. you. Okay. Well, the other part of it is this is kind of a sucky kicker. But let's just say you you eat healthy for six days a week, you know, and you create a bit of a calorie deficit, maybe five hundred calories a day, and then you just have a blowout because it's your cheat day. You could basically in one day undo a significant portion of that effort. It's kind of like building a house during the week and burning it down on the weekend and then building it up again and burning it down. Okay. Now, when five or six out of seven days, you're quote unquote eating clean, it, mm -hmm. it, it feels like, oh my gosh, I can't try any harder, but you're building a house and burning it down. Yeah. That's why it's not working. Hey, let me ask you this, just as a side note, like my wife has, um, she's going to get so mad at me for mentioning this, but my wife has had three c-sections like yeah. like cesarean mm -hmm. section and i know when they do that because i was there and got to 
fully see that process, but I mean, they go through the skin, they go through the muscle, they go through the fat cells, they go through the tissue and they get straight to your, I mean, your intestines and yeah, your uterus. Wallet. Yeah. Like they get all the way in there. Like they actually got so far in there. They actually put a cut on my kid's leg, like just slightly, you know what I mean? When they were getting crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and okay. So you come out of that and then all of that stuff has to heal again. And like, uh, like core exercises for my wife were a little bit more difficult, like as far yeah. as like steps and things like that. Or like we used, we used to do leg throws at the park where you lay down on your back and elevate your legs up. And then, and then someone would throw them and then you would try to stop them from slamming into the ground before they hit the ground. And it like puts all this tension is an exercise. Yeah. We used to do it in prison, but it puts a lot of tension yeah. on your, on your stomach muscles. But those types of exercises are really hard for her. So for someone that's maybe been through a situation like that, is it just par for the course that it's going to be harder or more difficult to see muscle um, growth or weight loss in that particular area? I'm going to get in so much trouble. I would say, <laughs> I would say yes and no. Um, what I would say is um, like, obviously we have to work within the sort of physical restrictions of our, of our body, you know? Right. Um, so there, there's certain, and so what's going to discourage people is when our expectations don't line up with reality. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like we have a distorted idea of what we should be able to accomplish because of what we, how we've been marketed to, you know, just take this pill, use this ab rocket, go on this diet. It's, it's so easy. Look at all these people doing it. Nobody tells you like, you, you know, most weight loss programs have about a 5% success rate. Like, wow. yeah, about one in 20. But they, they run enough people through their programs. They have enough stories about success stories. Sure. But what they're really showing you is the outliers. Yeah. They're showing you the one in 10 that actually were successful. They're not showing you the whole bunch that weren't, you know, trying to buy all these prepackaged meals and things like that and feeling deprived and, and so on. Very few people are equipped to help people through the, the mental stages of this journey. And that's like what I do really well. <laughs> that's why I'm good at what I do. But so uh, uh, with regards to that, is it going to be a little more difficult? Maybe. So what needs to change? The expectation. Show a little bit more compassion. Have a little more patience with the process. Understand you're not just doing this in, you know, to look good in three months' time. You're doing this to change your life. And you're doing this, hopefully, to have many years of quality life ahead of you. So, yeah. um, you know, for example, I have an eight-month-old son. And, man, I love this kid. Uh, which is, should come as no surprise. But I mean, I didn't know how much I could love like a little human being until I had my son. And, uh, you know, like there's nothing like parental love. Yeah. Th this kid in the womb was doing like 120 kicks a minute. My poor wife trying to sleep. You know, they say, oh, make sure they're doing six kicks an hour. I'm like, dude, this kid like rides his bike. We would we would film like him riding his bike and we would joke about it. He's riding his bike. We literally film her belly and you just see like the feet going like mad. <laughs> Poor wife trying to sleep. She's like, kid, when are you going to sleep? And he was like a 3 a.m. party animal too. He would he would be dancing in the womb at like 3 a.m. And right. so my poor wife trying to sleep when she was pregnant. Um, comes out, he's no different. Those legs don't stop moving. And I go, uh-oh. <laughs> like, you know I, know, I know kids move a lot, but I know enough to know that this kid is like the Energizer Bunny. He right. His legs go like mad. So I look at that and I go, oh my gosh. When he figures out how to walk and run, he's going to be everywhere you know like when i was a kid my parents had to put a leash on me because i had a super curious mind and i wanted to check everything out well i think this kid's inherited that you sure. know there 
there was never a docile stage with him. Like I say, I don't get snuggles. I get struggles because um, he has to be facing out so he can flail his limbs. They have to be, able, you know, so yeah. I don't know where this kid gets all this energy from. So where I'm going with this is I realize, oh, crap, if I want to be present in his life, I better get my conditioning up. In other words, I'm going to need to be able to sprint when he starts running for a road. Sure. I'm going to be able to run with him when he wants to run around and play in the park. I do not want to be a sideline dad. Uh, sorry, dad's going to sit on the bench and watch you play. Mm-hmm. No, no, I want to be present in your life. Yeah. And so that is what I call an emotionally compelling reason. So when I talk about, like, I still battle urges and impulses in my head, you know, where the voice says, hey, you just like smash an entire bag of chips or something like that. And I don't, but sometimes I want to. Yeah. But then I, then I go, I want to be, I want to be present in my son's life. Because I'm, I'm an older dad. I, I started at 39. And so I'm going to be close to 60 when it comes time for him to graduate. I don't want to be struggling with dementia or have a cane or, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want them to be like, oh, it's so nice you brought your grandpa to graduation, you know? Right. Oh, no, that's my dad, you know? like. <laughs> and so that's my reason. Like, I'm not doing this to look like a fitness model. I'm doing this because I want to keep up with my kid. Yeah. I want to be in his life. And so right. if you want to go through this process of trying to create transformation in your life, you have to have an emotionally compelling reason. That's you it. can logically say, oh, I should do this. Yeah, logically that makes sense. And it's not making you do it because our emotional brain is more powerful. I love and that. And when we understand this, that's we tap into that. And that's what keeps us going in these difficult times. Yeah, that's, dude, That that's the nugget right there. I've been doing these episodes, right? And I just did one with this life coach lady from Romania just a couple of days ago. And it was so good. Like I was nervous, like, cause she, she doesn't have a really strong accent. Like her English is really good, but I was just worried there was just going to be some like communication stuff because like we're separated by oceans, you know? And she came out with this really good nugget, um, which was make your make your vision so clear your fears become irrelevant and although that's not like exactly like this i feel like it's hand in glove because when you attach like you said an emotional reason to win it's not you just fighting because well I think I should, or society tells me I should, or the magazine at the grocery store with that hot chick on it told me I should be skinny, or, you know, the magazine, you know, here with the guy, Arnold Schwarzenegger says I should be this or whatever. And I'm trying to just do this because someone else is putting this label on me. You've now attached a personal emotional reason to why you want to win, whether it's weight loss or anything else. Yeah, you're saying that that actually empowers your willpower to 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 win. Yeah, if I'm hearing that right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I still do things like shape my environment. You know, that's a simple thing, like you know, burying the M and M's in the bottom of the pantry behind a bunch of stuff, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like know how your brain works and make this easier for yourself. I I have a rule of thumb that uh, generally speaking, I don't eat after eight p.m. Why? Because mm-hmm. I don't make good decisions after eight p.m. Like I'm at peace with that. I'm okay with that. I know that's kind of how my brain works. I'm a former food addict. Mm-hmm. I'm not reaching for broccoli after 8 p.m. Right. And so by putting a boundary in place and boundaries don't like firm boundaries don't necessarily work for everybody, but they work for me because it really simplifies things for me. Mm-hmm. And so when you put a boundary in place, it's, it's going to trigger some things. Like it's going to trigger some cravings. Let's say if I see my wife eating a chocolate bar and I go, Oh, I kind of want one, but it's like, it's after eight o'clock. 
And now I have two choices. I can kind of break my rule, which is kind of dishonoring what it is I want to do. Right. Or I can figure out another way to deal with this because I don't really want a chocolate bar. That's not actually what I'm looking for, right? It's not the chocolate. It's the indulgence. It's been a hard day. Yeah. You know, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit tired, but it's not quite bedtime. I want a little boost. Uh, you know, I want to heighten the pleasure of whatever if I'm, you know, watching some show or something like that. You know, it's mm. never about like the chocolate bar. So now I've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And so part of it is I get, I get connected back to, well, why did I set that rule in place? Because I want to be present in my son's life. Right. And that doesn't help me. Right. That, like, I almost want to go back and dissect that a little more. I don't even, I don't even know if there's a way to offer more clarity on it, but it almost sounded like you said, it's not about the food in that moment. It's mm -hmm. about what the, maybe what, uh, maybe the dopamine levels in the brain. Oh, totally. or, yes. Uh, that's the case with a lot of emotional eating. It's not really about the specific food. Um, let's say for example, my wife, um, likes this sort of chocolate malted chocolate drink called Milo. Now, you won't see it very often in North America because it comes from Australia. Now, you could probably buy some, I don't know, Nesquik, and it'd be pretty similar. Or Ovaltine, I think, would probably be a really similar one, right? Right. No, it's not Milo. Even though you can have literally the same ingredients in it. Why? Because when she was a kid, if she was good, she got Milo and milk. Right. And so Milo doesn't dissolve that well in cold milk. And so what you get is these sort of lumps of like this chocolatey powder that you kind of eat with a spoon off the top of it and whatever. Yeah. It's, it's it's not about, it's about bringing her back to her, the happiness of her childhood. Sure. Feeling secure, you know, and so on. So when you look at like most things you crave, it's not really about whatever that, that, that food is, but you might've attached that food. When I was emotionally distressed and I ate a Snickers bar, I felt better. Yeah. You didn't consciously think that, but it's like all the sudden when you're feeling stressed out you kind of want a snickers bar and snickers i'm picking on them because they've done the most brilliant marketing it's almost nefarious how good their marketing is they're the number one selling candy bar in the world and it's not by accident right yeah no i'm trying to remember that commercial i haven't seen one in forever but uh what's the slogan remind me what the slogan is well the one that i usually highlight is hungry grab a snickers yeah almost like you're gonna get full like That's you ate four a words. horse meal or whatever <laughs> So the, the greatest trick that Snickers ever pulled was convincing the world that they're a meal replacement. They're not a candy bar. They're a meal That's replacement. It. And it's like, now it's like you're not yourself when you're hungry. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So have one of these and you'll become emotionally back in check kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 Dirty. Hey, you were talking a minute ago, John, about, um, about dishonoring the, I don't want to say rule, but. Um, Boundary the boundary that you had set for yourself. So when like we set these boundaries and then it's eight o'clock, we're tired. Let's say we had that moment where we slipped or whatever. And we feel that dishonoring where like, I have dishonored the code, the boundary I've set for myself. Would you say that the dishonoring creates shame, remorse and regret? And a lot of people deal with those three emotions by cyclically- I call this the three amigos. <laughs> Oh, is it? Yeah. So, so we violate the dishonor and create the shame, regret, and the guilt. And the only way to cope with those three amigos is to once again, indulge in binging. Mm. Right. Is yeah. That that's a real interesting cycle. So, um, when I, 
because I, I don't perfectly live up to the standards I've set for, for myself. And I'm okay with that. That's part of being human. If I was perfect, uh, you know, I'd probably be a trillionaire or something. I don't know. Um, so, and, and I used to struggle with those three amigos, shame, guilt, and regret when, but let's just say that I, 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 you know, I do something like, okay, it's nine o'clock and I eat a Snickers bar. We'll just pick on Snickers again. I'll be, I'll maybe be like a little bit disappointed. I'm like, ah, shoot, you know, but I'm not going to fall into the cycle of beating myself up anymore. Instead, I'm actually going to get a little bit introspective and go, okay, so this happened. Beating myself up isn't going to change what happened. So now how would I, how would I understand it? Okay, uh, you know what? I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. It was kind of a tough day, you know, at, at work. Um, you know, my wife and I, we were, just, we were just a little bit on edge with each other and so on. And you can kind of chain it back and you figure, oh, okay, there's been a lot of triggers. And, every, you know, I've been constantly sort of like... Um, trying to navigate these triggers and I just eventually became emotionally like worn out or exhausted reached the point of decision fatigue and emotional fatigue and so it's not that I'm a flawed like or I'm a failing human being but like this is what happened that got me to this point now when I understand that I've now learned from that experience and instead turned something that could be perceived as a negative into something positive because I go okay now that I've learned from this experience how do I how do I prevent that from happening again and of course the simple solution is like don't keep Snickers bars in the house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right you know well let, well let me ask you a question real quick with that yeah. okay? because this is this is something that has come up it's always worded differently but it's come up in a few of the interviews that i've done on the podcast because once again my audience is going to be like oh nick you say this every time but shame reg- regret and guilt are a huge trigger for me to just kind of want to give up and not even try right so yeah and then, and then every person that I talk to says, all right, look, if you have a, if you have a failure or, or, you know, you violate a boundary, whether it's a big thing or whether it's a little thing, you know, use that as an, as a teaching moment and this, that, and the other, and, and what not to do. And that in the, in my mind, it sounds like, okay, that would be well and fine if I never did it again. If I'm doing this once a week or I'm doing this once a month, then is it really a teachable moment? And how do I, cause my mind is really my, my, my wicked alter ego subconscious mind mm-hmm. is way smarter than me. Mm-hmm. And it like, it like finds ways to convince me that I'm wrong with my, how I'm perceiving things. But so yeah. what do you do in that situation where it happens often once a week, once a month, couple hire months. me as a coach. <laughs> I love so, it. <laughs> no, what, why I say that though is because it, like, um, and it, it sounds like I'm like tuning my horn, and, and like I am really good at what I do. I I can comfortably say that um, now because for a long time I was scared to tell people that I was good at this. I was afraid of how they would perceive me if I had confidence in what I do. Um, but now I've done this for long enough, and I've created enough life-changing transformations, and I'm so deeply passionate about the work that I do that I can say, look, I'm I'm really good at this. This is my life's work. This is my life's calling. It's what I've dedicated myself to, like becoming really good at my craft. But kind of like what what's happening here in in one sense is you got this deeply ingrained pattern of behavior that's been wired in there, and it's been repeated probably millions of times over many decades. Right. To try to unwire that in like three months is a fool's errand. It's going to take more than that to really truly break that pattern of behavior when you understand how deeply ingrained it might be. It doesn't mean you stop trying. It means, so this is where that compassion piece comes in. So compassion is not enabling. It's not you're halfway down that bottle of wine, you might as well finish the thing off. That's called enabling. That doesn't help. 
But on the other side, beating yourself up doesn't help either. So compassion walks the middle and says, let's figure out what, what's happening here. And let's come up with some strategies. You know, you go, um, you start to figure out what the triggers are. You start to figure out like what you reach for. Um, you start to figure out what your brain is looking for and can you find a substitute and so on. So you actually come up with a few different strategies to work around it. But trying to fix yourself um, is like trying to bite your own teeth. <laughs> like it really doesn't work very well because you're stuck in your own head. <laughs> I love it, bro. That's good. Look, um, I know we're kind of running up the clock here. You had a phone call with a client that you needed to get to. So I don't want to keep you too long. If I could just maybe two more real quick and then we'll let people yeah, yeah. get a hold of you. So I'm the kind of person where when I'm going to start a new habit or rekindle an old habit that I know I should be doing, let's say maybe I fell off the wagon with exercise or dieting or meditation or anything like that, that's a good habit. And in the process of letting these good habits go for this extended amount of time, I also picked up some negative habits mm -hmm. that I'm trying to get rid of. Would you say that you're the kind of guy that it really helps you to let go of bad habits by incorporating new and healthy habits? Like you can't just not eat junk food anymore, mm -hmm. but we're also going to exercise and like lift weights or jog or do be on the bike or something like that. Well, yeah. What, what you turn your attention to is what grows. And so if you're always focusing on trying to break a bad habit, the bad habit's always on your mind. Right. So what you want to do is kind of sneakily crowd it out a little bit. Like and that. so you, 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 go, you go back to the CMGs, you set your can't miss goals. And here, here's the other thing is, you know, you look at what are these good habits you're trying to establish? And are you trying to establish one that's a little bit too big for where you're at presently? You know, because yeah. remember, it's the repeatability of the behavior that determines if it'll become a successful habit. Right. And that's why, even though my average step count these days is 11,200 and something, I still keep my CMG at 5,000, partly because I want to keep the streak going. <laughs> um, but it means if I have a day where I just don't have a lot going on, I don't have a lot of energy, you know, that kind of thing, and I just get over the 5,000 mark, cool, I've kept the streak going. And so it's like you might have to adjust the magnitude of the behavior you're trying to build. And so sometimes it requires checking your ego a little bit. But the other part of it is... Um, you kind of look back at your past experience. Go last time when I tried to start meditating 15 minutes a day, I couldn't keep that habit up. Cool. Start with three minutes a day. Yeah. Make that your CMG. Yeah. No, I like that. So, John, like I, 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 in my in my interviews and and in my podcasts where I'm monologuing on my own, I'm very transparent. I'm very vulnerable with the guys. <clears throat> and again, like I said, been to prison, eight year meth addiction. Um, got out and realized there was a lot of hurting men out there. And I was actually blown away by how well received the Apex Masculinity podcast has been, which lets me know that there's a lot of hurting guys out there that have been through trauma, been through, you know, some kind of tragic things. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be abuse. I mean, like I was telling mm -hmm. the lady on the last one, you lost your primary caregiver, your mom or dad passed away, or yeah. you were almost killed in South Africa, or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, like you went through something and it's affecting your mind to the place where you're stuck and you can't see yourself successful and winning. So you go into this, it doesn't even have to be a dark place. It's just this place of being stuck where you're just surviving, you know, you're not mm -hmm. thriving and living. And, um, 
uh, in back to the transparency part of all that, I really wish that I would have prepared, but I don't even know if it would have helped me, John, prepared more for this interview because there is so much, like we didn't even scratch the surface. So before we, <laughs> well, we'll yeah, also, do another one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's where I'm going with that, bro, because there's like three other main blocks on your bio that I really want to get into, man. But um, before we go, last question, just because you put it on there and I think it's hilarious. If you were president, how would you tackle ob the obesity epidemic? Um, I would bring in a sugar tax. And that's okay. a really controversial move because people think it's not going to change behavior. And I go, well, putting an alcohol tax and tobacco tax did bring down consumption to a degree. Yeah, It's not, it's not going to solve everything. Mm -hmm. But we need to acknowledge that there is nothing good about added sugar. Now, I'm not saying that I never consume it. I, you want to talk about transparency? I had a Reese's peanut butter cup today. There is nothing healthy about that whatsoever. <laughs> All right. And yeah. I, but I just had, I had one mini cup. Like I didn't have like a four jumbo cups. Size, like I used right. To. <laughs> right. I just ate one. Um, yeah. So, but I, I recognize that there's no, okay. It's, it gives us a little bit of pleasure and a little bit of enjoyment. But the fact of the matter is you keep pushing that button, you become an addict. Right. And, um, and so I, I would say, I would put that tax on that and say, and, and, I, and I would use the money from that tax to start su subsidizing like not growing monocrops like grain and soy and, and corn, but actually growing vegetables. Yeah. So the vegetables become more affordable, especially for like the, the more disadvantaged people. So I would, I would turn that subsidy into something that benefited small time vegetable growers mm -hmm. instead of like big time, you know, agricultural conglomerates. Yeah. Favorite vegetable before I let you go. And I know I've said that five times already. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I'm an asparagus guy, bro. I love it. Asparagus I'm, I'm go is with, awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm going with broccoli, actually, which yeah. might be a, a seem like a strange one, but I think I get so much enjoyment out of eating it because I know how nutrient like packed it is. Yeah. And so in one sense, I actually get a dopamine hit from eating a healthy vegetable and being like, man, I'm nourishing my body with this. And so yeah. uh I think I think broccoli is where it's at. No, that's good, man. Awesome. So we've already had an agreement that we will do this again and get into the next tier of everything that you're, that you got going on and that you're getting into. But why don't you go ahead, John, and tell people like how to get a hold of you or how to, if they're interested in your coaching program, or if they just want to look yeah. at some of your info and stuff, how could they get a hold of you? Uh, FreedomNutritionCoach.com is, is the website. Um, I do have a free resource called Crush Your Cravings. Um, but I, but I, since your podcast is primarily men, I will warn you it's, um, the color scheme is more suited for, um, females because it, it's pink, it's got pink in it. Um, because the majority of my audience happens to be female. Sure. I would love to work more with men, but men yeah. have a really hard time putting up their hands saying I need help. But if you go to freedomnutritioncoach.com slash book, um, you'll get a copy. The, the information is valid for both men and women. Um, and I have worked successfully with men as well. It's just that I work with probably 80, 80 to 90% females only by virtue of the fact that men struggle to put up their hands and say, yo, I need some help. Right. So you did I hear that right? There's a book, you've written a book or well, it's, that... it's a relatively short book um, okay. called uh, crush your cravings, about 25 pages. Okay. And really, and if, it's... They, if they go to the website, they can access that book. Yeah. Freedomnutritioncoach.com slash book. Right. Slash book. Okay, cool. Any other LinkedIn, Twitter, anything like that, where you've got 
uh, well, I, I broadcast multiple times a week with my own podcast called Wellness Unplugged or, and, and Wellness Unfiltered. Okay. Those are kind of two shows that I do. Um, there, if you look up Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you'll find me on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at no FN diets, no FN diets. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. And then I broadcast on my personal Facebook profile as well. So a couple times a week. And you're going to be a guest on my show. I'm already telling you that because you have a heck of a story that I want to unpack for my audience as well. Um, so we're going, to, we're going to make that happen too. Uh, it's a live broadcast podcast. So it's an interactive show. So if you tune in, you're able to ask questions. I can publish your comments live on screen and get them addressed and things like that. So um, yeah, you can just add me as a friend on Facebook. Uh, my handle is Canadian Nomad, but it's Canadian, only one N at the end. O-M-A-D. Okay. So it's, yeah. Or you can look up Jonathan McLernan. I don't think there's that many on there. And we can put this in the show notes. But uh, yeah, look me up on Facebook. Send me a friend request. Say, hey, man, I heard you on Nick's show and I just wanted to connect. You know, the thing, the funny thing is I'm like, all we're going to do is have a conversation like two normal people. And if I can help you, I'll offer to help you. If I can't, I'll try and steer you in the direction of someone who can. And that's, I think, why I'm successful is because I only work with people that I know that genuinely I can help. Yeah, that's amazing, bro. Awesome. No, it's needed, bro. And this has been really good. This is not really my uh, time of the night. Like I'm a morning person and that's when I'm like, I'm ready to go. Like I've been at work all day. Like out, it, you're, you're from Canada, so you know that you know what the cold is or whatever. But man, the cold just seems to wear you down. And uh, the cold also makes you want to eat. So I'm going to have to go to your website and look into this stuff. But no, it's time. <laughs> Guys, please go and check out John's stuff, man. Go check out his website download his podcast. If health, fitness, and nutrition is big for you, and you know it should be, uh, get in there and start doing some research. Start educating yourself on what it means to be healthy. Because like John said, guys, like he's got an emotional reason attached to why he wants to be healthy. You know, looking at his son, and I know some of you guys have kids, and and you want to be around for the long haul so that you can be present as a father and as a husband and contribute to the overall wellness and well-being of your family. So, John, again, it's been awesome having you on. And uh, yeah, we'll again soon. Yep. Thanks a bunch, bro. Yep. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Yes, sir.